Turn our Bibles, please, for our New Testament reading to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. In the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy... Filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not to one another, seeing ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. <clears throat> Put on the therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering, <clears throat> forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents In all things, for this is well pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily. As to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive 
the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. <clears throat> All right, so in Colossians chapter 3, we, we sort of change gears. We have been talking with some pretty high theology. It had practice involved with it, but it was some pretty high theology, some Christology, some apologetic work against the Gnostics and against Jewish uh, remnants and holdovers and whatnot. And so now we come to a very practical section as we move on here in chapter 3. We'll note that the apostle builds his practicum upon his theology. We need the doctrine. It always has to come first. Once we have established the doctrine, then we might build proper Christian practice on that doctrine. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul does here in his transition from chapter 2 to chapter 3. <clears throat> the word if there is a, it's a strong if, right? It's a since. It's not really an if. It is since you be risen with Christ. This is who you are. Um, <clears throat> seek those things which are above then where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. The, the first section of this chapter teaches us that the life of the Christian is a heavenly life lived here on earth. It is a life that is filled with the rules of heaven, the thoughts of heaven, the, the, um, the Christ of heaven, uh, the administration from heaven, and so on. That we are raised up from that which is earthly or mundane, Right When we use the word mundane, I hope every one of you understands that. It's, it's from the Latin mundo, which means the earth. Right, A mundane thing is an earthly thing. Right, We want to live heavenly lives. Our life, Paul will say here, is hidden with Christ in God. It is hidden in that it does not appear as we look around with our eyes that we have a heavenly life instead of an earthly life. You know, we don't glow. We, we, we didn't get a, you know, a, a halo or a set of wings or any other such thing as that. Not that we will get a halo and wings later either. Okay? But you understand what I mean when I use those illusions. We didn't get a harp and a cloud. Right? We're still walking about on this earth. But it is a heavenly life. It is a hidden heavenly life, but a heavenly life nonetheless. And that's <clears throat> what we ought to learn to live by. That's what the apostle says. We in our earthly selves have died. You have died. Your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life shall appear. Then shall ye also appear with him in glory. We've said this before. We say it again. We need, it, we need to have it reinforced. We say you know. Um, since Jesus came into my life. You don't have a life. You only have abiding death apart from Christ. Christ is our life. He doesn't come into our lives. We come into his life. That's really how we ought to think of it. So he is the only life truly there is. All right, so that's the first three verses, or four verses, excuse me. Now, when we come to verse 5, we're, we're, we're going to have the consequence of that. 
The second word of the, of, of the sentence is therefore. In Greek it's the first word. Mortify therefore. Mortify means, you know, we say I was mortified. That means I was afraid. Okay, but really the word mortify comes from the French. Right? That means, it means to die. To put to death. Right? <clears throat> put to death therefore your members which are upon the earth. By members here, what Paul means is those things that you once walked in. Put them to death. There are two lists here in Colossians chapter 3. There's a list, first of all, that has to do with things for which sake the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience. They characterize people as being the children of disobedience. So, if you claim to be a Christian, and yet you are a fornicator, you're unclean, uh, all of these are sins of of sexual uncleanness. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, illicit desire, and all that, and covetousness, which is idolatry. All of those things, beloved, they don't belong in the Christian life. And lives that are characterized by those things are lives upon which the wrath of God comes because that is the characteristic of the children of disobedience. This doesn't mean that a Christian will never, as a one or two off or something like that, uh, fall into a sin like that. But it does mean that those who live in these things are not Christians. Stand on your, stand on your tiptoes. Proclaim it from the loudest housetop that you can that you're still a Christian doing these things and you're still not. doesn't matter how, how vehemently you insist. We see the same thing in Ephesians 5. We see the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. There's a list of certain sins that are simply not to be named among Christians. Period. So they, th- those things must be Mortified. They must be put to death. Done. Period. Full stop. No excuse. No mitigation. No softening. Okay. Now, notice the second list. By the way, notice what Paul says to the Colossians. In which also ye walked sometime when ye lived in them. But no longer. And there are some theologians, and I, I, I tend to have sympathy for this view, that the members that he's talking about here are those members of the professed body of Christ that still, that, that still practice such things. They are to be put aside. I think that's not being taught in this passage, but that is certainly taught in other passages of Scripture. They're to be disciplined and put out because this is inconsistent with Christianity. Oh, beloved... The discipline of the church is, a, is an essential mark of the church. All right, so now Paul will say in verse 8, but now ye also put off these. And <clears throat> it's a little bit unclear in our King James Version what Paul means there. This is a simple imperative in the original. I'm telling you also now to put off these as well. These are sins, however that are not classed with, with, the, with the first class of sins, that are completely inconsistent with Christianity. These are things we continue to wrestle with that still must be put off. So put these things off. What are they? Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, 
filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not to one another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Notice, not if you stop doing these things, you will put off the old man. That's not what he says. You have put off the old man with these deeds, so stop practicing them. There's no longer a reason for you to continue in even these sins. No longer a reason. Doesn't mean you're not going to slip. Doesn't mean you're not going to sin. We're not talking about the doctrine of perfectionism here. But we are talking about the warp and woof of our lives. So the Lord Jesus has come to give us victory, to destroy the works of the devil. And that victory begins, beloved, now, in this life. So put off these other things, too. And we have put off the old man with his deeds. Notice, and you have put on, verse 10, the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. We couple this in our confessional documents with Ephesians also, chapter 5, and we come up with what? Or Sorry, chapter 4, and we come up with what? Knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness. This is what the new man creation is. When we say that we are newly created in Christ or that we are new creatures in Christ, it has to do with those three things, knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. Okay? All right, so that's verses 1 through 10. So, in verse 11, Paul will, will, will finish up that section by saying that this new man is not based in anything that has to do with any race or ethnicity uh, or anything like that. There is neither Jew nor Greek, circumcision, uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. The new man, the new creation has to do with any particular person. It is not a particular uh, kind of people, a particular geography of people, a particular ethnicity of people, a particular socioeconomic status of people. No, it is every person. Every person can. <clears throat> there is no, there's no barrier to becoming new in Christ Jesus. Uh, any human being can do so. Okay? Uh, in those days, remember, there was a great racial divide between Jews and Gentiles, and there were other divides as well. The apostle is taking all of that away. Verse 12 then, <clears throat> there is something that we do as the elect of God. That is, it is fitting with your election. It is fitting with your election to put on bowels of mercies. Kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another, uh, not being quarrelsome, as we have been forgiven, so also to forgive. And finally, as the capstone, we put on agape, uh, love, charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Again, charity translated that way uh, so that we recognize the sacrificial nature of love. Right? Um, what is love? I want to know what love is, right? That's the question of our ages. What is love? What is it? I, well, it's this. It's something that you would sacrifice, right? 
You give up something. God so loved that he gave his son. Um, Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Right? Not, oh, I love you. Give me what I need. That's not love. That's covetousness. Right? No, it's, I love you. What do you need? I love you. What can I give? I love you. How can I sacrifice on behalf of your holiness, sanctification, and redemption? That's what love is. It's nothing short of that. And that's why it is often translated in your King James versions as charity. All right, so all of those traits, they are befitting our election. This uh, humility. Isn't it interesting that the enemy of our souls and those who speak for him often say, you know, this Calvinistic doctrine of election, that's just going to make you proud. The Bible says the opposite. It's just the opposite of that. No, your election, that which is befitting your election, is what? It is that it's humbleness of mind, it's meekness, it's charity, it's sacrifice, it's all of those things. Not being quarrelsome, not being prideful, but all of those other things instead. Why is that? Because a true doctrine of election asks the question, why in the world would God choose me? And the other side of that, that God chose me because I could do something or did do something or would in the future do something, that's what engenders pride. True election and a true doctrine of election always carries with it proper humility. It is only a perversion of that doctrine that would bring in something else. So now in verse 16, we are... uh, We are to understand how to enact all of those things, right? Um, There's our election and that which is fitting with our election. That is apart from us. But what what is the means or what are the means to behaving as we ought to behave, as Paul has just told us in verses 12 through 15? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Um. When we talk about this passage and we compare it to that passage in Ephesians chapter 5 where it says, Be ye not drunk with wine, but be spiritually full. Uh, I know your King James Bible says, Be filled with the Spirit. But I don't think that's what, Paul, that's what Paul's saying there. The original is without the article there. And it, it, it's, it's, it's abstracting instead. And so it's, Be spiritually full. And how is it that we might be spiritually full beloved by letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly you see how parallel it is between Paul and Paul here Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 so let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom and what does that do Um, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. There are several things we want to unpack out of that phrase. The first is that the psalms and the hymns and the spiritual songs are uh, all found in the 150 inspired psalms of Scripture. These aren't separate uh, annotations that mean, you know, well, the psalm, everybody knows what that is, but a hymn, that's what we find in our old hymn books, by the way, which didn't exist when Paul wrote this. 
And the spiritual songs, you know, the spiritual songs, those are those Christian choruses that we can all get into and, you know, all of that. No, that's, again, that's an anachronistic hermeneutic, right? By anachronistic, that means we take our time and we force it back on the Bible instead. Rather than letting the Bible speak out of its own time zone. What is the time zone of the Bible? That the Septuagint version, the Greek Old Testament, had a Psalter in it. And in the titles of those songs, in the Greek Old Testament, you have psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And so all of those things are being spoken of. Um, You'll look at the end of Psalm 72. It's either 72 or 6. I'm sorry, off the top of my head, I've... I've forgotten it. And, and it says that, the, that the, uh, the hymns or praises of David are ended. That's the Greek word humnos in the original, where we get our word hymn from. Right? <clears throat> so Paul does not authorize in this passage here the writing of new praise songs. Actually, he calls upon us to think on the Psalter to let that word of Christ dwell in us richly so that what comes out of our mouths has come forth from the word of Christ and it is according to that that we teach and, admonishing one another, and admonish one another as we sing those songs. And beloved, here's what I want you to understand. that Paul, I think, while this is not the setting of a worship service, he's thinking of those times when, you know, Let's, let's put yourself in the first century mindset with the apostolic office and the office of teacher and preacher and so on. When would it ever be proper for us to begin preaching one to another as equals? Well, we, we, we really don't do that, do we? We have a preacher. We have, we have an office for that. We don't really preach. As a matter of fact, we might say, hey, you're preaching to me. <laughs> you know, please don't do that. Right? Although we, we wouldn't say that to our preacher because hopefully we wouldn't. That's his job. Right? So, how is it then that the people of God are going to be teaching and admonishing one another? Beloved, when we stand and sing the Psalms in one another's presence, what are we doing? We are singing the word of God to God and one to another. We're providing an example and words that God has put into our mouths that are given to us to teach and admonish one another in psalms and in hymns and in spiritual songs. And so we sing and make melody in the heart with grace to the Lord. And so these words then let us also, in the third point, make sure that not only this is the psalms we're talking about, not only this is the way that we primarily teach and admonish one another, but third, that these songs rise up out of hearts purified by faith. We're singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. It is not simply uh, singing. It's, more than, it's much more than that. Okay, and whatsoever, verse 17, ye do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Okay, Paul, I'm right with you. Everything I do when I come to church on Sunday will be to the glory of God. Swing and a miss. Whatever you do. Everything. To the Corinthians, Paul will say, whether you eat or drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is what it means to be a living sacrifice. 
right? Everything is service to the Lord. So now we close the chapter in verses 18 through the end with Paul moving on to our domestic relations and how we do that. If we're going to learn how to do all of these things that we're talking about here, the first school is at home. For husbands, wives, and children, the first school is at home. Godly families breed godly churches, breed godly societies. So if we learn these lessons at home, then we will learn them for the church and for the society around us. It is indeed no wonder the enemy of our souls has sought to obliterate the family. How has he sought to obliterate the family? Well, by perverting marriage. By making marriage about something other than having children and raising them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. By making, a, by making it about money, about pleasure, about whatever else, right? Instead of marrying to the glory of God, raising children to God's glory. Um, inheritances, right? Remember the four things for the mutual help of husband and wife, for the furnishing of the church with a godly seed, for the furnishing of society with a with a legitimate issue, and then finally to prevent uncleanness. Right? Those four things that we say confessionally are the, the, the reason for marriage. And the reason God has given us families uh, is that the society and the race itself may be preserved. The destruction of the family is the destruction of the church and the destruction of the society. So, beloved, the enemy of your souls has taken aim at the family. Mothers, fathers, put on your shields. Put them on. And protect your family situation and protect your children and, perfect, and, and protect the domestic institution. Don't let the enemy have it. So why, and, and, and here's how we do this. Wives submitting to their husbands. Husbands loving their wives without bitterness. Children obeying their parents. Fathers parenting their children in such a way so as not to provoke them to anger, but rather to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, uh, Ephesians 6. And then this other domestic relation with regard to servants and masters, right? And how we provide for our own. And how we do that heartily is unto the Lord and not unto men. Notice that, um, how shall we say this? We come to, the, to church on the Lord's Day to worship. <clears throat> and we call it worship and we call this a worship service. And it is. It is exactly that. But it is also, shall we say, explicitly worship. Who is the client that receives that service on Sunday? God is the client that receives that service. All of the other things that we do in this world may have immediate clients. It is still service unto the Lord, and yet it is somehow tempered, augmented, even directed by that immediate client. And there's nothing wrong with that. Our boss can tell us, our master can tell us what time to be at the office or the job site. Or behind the wheel. Or you know what time you strap your tools on. And when you take breaks. Or whatever that calling is. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
in those services, <clears throat> even if we ourselves are our own boss, we still have a, a patron, don't we? We still have someone to please as a mediate client. There's nothing wrong with that. But here, this is what we call explicit worship with no intermediate client. We come directly to God through Jesus Christ to serve him. And so he gives us the rules of approach and the rules of service. But that doesn't mean that our secular employment, and I don't really like that word secular employment because Paul will say here to servants that serve their masters that they serve the Lord Christ in their services. It's not really secular in that way. And so when we are Christian, we are Christian with regard to our labor. We are Christian with regard to our commerce. We are Christian with regard to how we do business in this world. And that means that we are seeking to serve the Lord in all of those mediate services to mediate patrons or clients. This is what the Apostle Paul will get across here. And it doesn't really matter, beloved, if you're a slave in a household or a day laborer, a hireling that gets paid at the end of the day or someone who is a part owner or the owner uh, with some other client that is outside the business that dictates the terms of, you know, this is what I want and when I want it and so on. All of those things still exist no matter what position we're in. But we must handle all of those things serving the Lord in them all. All right, with that then we'll draw our reading to a close and let's stand and call upon the Lord.